0: Hello and welcome to Discord, a podcast to explore the intersection between music and theatre. I'm Adam Lenson and week by week I will be trying to figure out the conundrum that is musical theatre. Welcome to episode 9. Discord. On this week's episode we're going to discuss the music part of musical theatre and what that can mean for a performer.
1: That thing that people say, oh you should say you're an actor who sings. Why should I have to say that? It really upsets me for coming from a, like a training in singing since, you know, you're very, very young and then people say, be an actor who sings, you know. I want to be able to say I'm a singer and people not think, oh, she's terrible at acting.
0: That's singer and actor Molly Lynch. And I spoke to her on a rainy Monday night in North London.
1: The note I got at the very start was sing less and act more. And I was so confused by that. Why is that... Why do you have to sing less to act more? You know, actually, if you sing more, you'll probably act more.
0: I'm going to start by letting Molly tell you a little bit about her training.
1: I studied music after school. I started piano when I was nine, very late for piano. And was in choirs in a school of music from probably about six or seven. So I was doing a lot of sight reading and classical rep. Went started stage school when I was about 14 and then decided to study music and do a Bachelor of Music degree when I was 18. And through opera, discovered musical theatre and then decided to do an MA in music theatre at Central.
0: During our conversation, I was struck by the fact that even though Molly had been involved in both music and theatre from an early age, that the two seemed quite separate to her growing up and didn't interrelate that much.
1: I suppose I was training in choirs and in classical piano whilst I was also doing the stage school kid thing but I didn't discover that till I was like 14 so I was doing classical music first and when I did them together they were kind of in parallel they never crossed over so I didn't really I related to them in that when I did both things I was singing but that was it really because they didn't ever mention each other or you know overlap anyway and when I came to when I went to classical training I went to the school of music I had sheet music in front of me and when I went to stage school and we learned a song I had words So that was a that was a really big difference.
0: It's strange that even though music and theatre are both so obviously a part of musical theatre, that the study of both can seem so separate. One thing that Molly kept coming back to was the idea that training in classical music was more rigorous and formal than training in theatre.
1: Classical training seemed more formal and more useful. There's scores and there's works that you study and there's You know levels you train out with the voice depending on your age and it just seemed very structured and there was a whole all music theory that I want to learn and also I was passionate about music and I wanted to be a musician not just a singer so that was kind of why I ended up doing that I loved acting and I loved being on stage but I didn't really feel that was something I would I could train like academically in so I think that's why I chose to do classical music and not go and study drama or anything. Actually, that studying drama never even crossed my mind, even though I loved acting. I just didn't, it just didn't seem, didn't, I actually didn't even think about it looking back now.
0: I find it very interesting that while singing is a very physical thing, that the study of voice and music is often an academic, formal discipline, whereas theatre and drama is often seen as something instinctive. I think the formal and the instinctive are two sides of the same coin when it comes to performance, and that actors and singers need both. And I think what Molly is saying about the rigour with which music and singing are taught in the classical world is something that musical theatre definitely shouldn't ignore.
1: The really cool thing about training as a singer in a music degree is that you're in with instrumentalists and you're treated like one of them. So the pianists practice six hours a day and as a singer you're like, well, they're doing six hours, okay, well I can only sing physically for two or three, so I need to do my translation work and my da-da-da-da, everything else. There's a real sense of practice, rehearsal, rehearsal, rehearsal. That I think um, gets embedded in you, and you, and and you can understand them when in the acting world. When I, I meet really, really good actors who who do their, you know, they take apart their text and they put in their actioning and they do all that stuff. I I love that then because that made total sense to me because I saw that instrumentalists do the same in the world of music. So that's they're so similar.
0: As always, practice makes perfect. But perhaps there's something intrinsic to the world of classical music that means practice is something that is more prized and that technique and academia and craft is more prized. Molly goes on to say that in her early theatre training that perhaps music wasn't talked about enough, even though musical theatre obviously involved a lot of music.
1: I never understood when we were learning music in stage school why we just had the lyrics and a CD um, I mean sometimes you have a piano player in there but they never talked about that's a semi that's a semi breathe you need to hold that to the end of the bar or um you know there's a there's a certain phrase mark there you should breathe before that that wasn't really talked about as much as when I was in choir when I was doing a classical song it was all about that and i think um i just thought oh the classical world respects the sheets more it respects the dots more and and i'm really interested in that i didn't really think That means I'm not interested in musical theatre, it just means that I'd rather do musical theatre through that corridor.
0: And I think that because musical theatre is so multidisciplinary, that every performer needs to approach it through a certain one of those disciplines. And Molly says, why do you need to start with acting? You can start just as legitimately with music.
1: That's what I think is so weird about musical theatre training, now that I know about it, because I never knew a thing about it when when I was... In Ireland, even though I knew it incorporated all three aspects, and I was not really the best mover, I, I could move, and I always trained in dance since I was twelve. But like, it was totally not my thing. I didn't take to it. So, I knew that there was three things in musical theatre you had to be pretty good at. But I was really interested in in the music side of it, and I also played in bands and played guitar. So I was like, mm, I'm going to do music. I will keep looking at musical theatre through music, the music side from a music perspective. But I don't know if I want to train in that and make that my training, because I prefer the way that we train in, you know, with classical music.
0: Molly goes on to challenge the notion of the triple threat, the person who is equally strong at singing, acting and dancing, by saying it's actually quite useful for a performer to know their strengths and work on their strengths.
1: If you want to do musical theatre, you're never going to get a job if you're just pretty average at all things.
0: Molly goes on to suggest that the fact that dance isn't her strength doesn't mean that she shouldn't work in musical theatre.
1: Just because I can't ever, you know, be on point or do a triple pirouette doesn't mean I can't do musical theatre. It just means there's certain things I'm ruled out of. The same way someone who might be pretty good at all three probably will never sing like Cunegonda and Candide.
0: Candide is a 1956 piece that sits on the boundary between opera and musical. It has a script by Lillian Hellman, lyrics by Stephen Sondheim and music by Leonard Bernstein. The music is acknowledged to be extraordinarily complex and the role Molly mentioned is a high soprano role amongst the most challenging in theatre.
1: I think it's kind of silly to say musical theatre training is acting, singing and dancing and you need to be good at all of them because actually the people who are really good at one are sometimes the people who who do the best.
0: Musical theatre contains all three disciplines but not always at the same time and not always performed by the same performers. Sometimes, different roles contain different skill sets and a piece transitions back and forth between them. So specialization is often a very useful thing.
1: You know, I, it's like I've trained singing since I was very, very young, you know, sat in choirs for hours to study breathing, all the study sight singing. And the, the, the skill of singing and being a musician is not really something that's looked upon with the same respect as acting is in musical theater. For That's what I've found a lot anyway. And I think this whole notion that we have to be actors who blah, 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 almost to protect ourselves of being accused of not being a dancer. It's like, well, I never said I was a dancer. I said I was an actor who moves. Oh, I never said I was a singer. I said I was an actor who who sings. And I think, you know, all that categorizing is just, if you sing, you sing. If you act, you act. You know, let everyone else decide what level they're at. You'll, everyone will have a different opinion anyway. Do you know what I mean? I think... That, that, I find that really weird about the, about the musical theatre world.
0: So Molly worries that we maybe don't care enough about music and the rigours and the study of music in musical theatre. But she then goes on to say that perhaps the name musical theatre is also a problem.
1: The reason I prefer the word music theatre to musicals is because the word musical, it's like, oh, that, that painting is rather musical. It's like an adjective that is describing a play so when I was in school of music in Ireland and I said I want to put on a musical because they had never done a musical in there and um, well the students had never put one on and everyone said ugh, why would you want to do a musical I realized then that it was called something it was using the world of music to describe a play so it was saying Oh, that's a play that's musical. It's a musical. It's a funny word.
0: And what Molly makes me realise is that calling something musical theatre is like saying it's theatre, but it's dusted with music. It's musical theatre. Rather than actually describing what it is, which is the coming together of music and theatre, the two should get equal credit. And in order for that to happen, Molly thinks, and I'm beginning to understand why, it should be called music theatre. Molly makes a very convincing case for music theatre as an umbrella term because as a term, it exists without boundaries. It is simply anything where music and theatre intersect. Hence opera, gig theatre, plays with songs, narrative concerts and musicals are all music theatre. So maybe that name has the power to be more inclusive and less divisive. In episode three, while talking to Nick Holder, I said I didn't like the term music theatre. And that's because I felt it had been constructed in order to divide musical theatre up into acceptable and unacceptable shows. But Molly isn't suggesting the term music theatre to separate it from musicals. Music theatre contains musicals.
1: Saying something like music theatre makes way more sense and I would just rather we use music theatre for everything where anyone sings and acts. And just use it for everything. Because musical to me, is isolating. Like, you, you can, can you call um, Cozy Fantasio a musical? Not really. It's like a Mozart opera, and it would it'd be, it'd be weird if you called it a musical because it's Mozart. He, he, he but if you called it music theatre, that's just you saying, oh, it's theatre with music, and they sing. So I just feel like it's a better term, and if I had my way, we would just call everything music theatre, and the word musical wouldn't exist, and, you know, there can be plays... Uh, because they don 't have music, and they, the word "music" is not in the word play at all,
0: Molly also suggests that this definitional problem is why people think that musicals can only be accessible
1: This is the problem I think with, with the term musical is that there are musicals music there is music theater that is the equivalent to James Joyce in Einstein on the beach in a lot of that, but people don 't call it musical theater because it 's not accessible we're actually you 're saying musicals have to be. Accessible? No, actually, we've just started calling accessible music theatre musicals. And that's the problem. And that's why then people say musicals are cheap and tacky, because we call them musicals because they're accessible. And a lot of the time, if something is, can be understood by the general public, we'll decide to call it a musical. You know, like, Einstein on the Beach is a is a musical. Einstein on the
0: Beach is a 1976 modernist opera by theatre maker Robert Wilson and composer Philip Glass. And it runs at five hours in length and is loosely based on the works and life of Albert Einstein and his reshaping of time and space.
1: Einstein on the Beach is a a musical, really. It is like it, like Janáček opera stuff. They're just musicals.
0: Janáček is a nineteenth and early twentieth century Czech composer who was particularly interested in folk tales and folk music, and folded those two things into
1: works of opera. But people don't people don't call them that because they're you know highbrow and they they're you have to they're com- they're complicated. So. Yeah, what you're saying is right, but only because we've decided to call the accessible pieces of music theatre musicals.
0: In episode four, when David Ralph talked about hating musicals, we discussed the idea that poetry is codified as something complicated and that musical theatre is codified as something accessible. And what Molly's saying is it's codified as accessible because of the fact that we call it musical theatre and that music theatre as an umbrella term has fewer boundaries and also fewer expectations on how complicated or complex a piece of work is. And that by calling things music theatre, maybe we free the medium up to do more interesting and more adventurous things. Music theatre is a term contains anything that has music and theatre combined and interwoven. However, my worry about losing the term musical theatre from popular use is that it currently seems to be a way of referring to a medium where narrative is carried through songs. Plot and character both are conventionally progressed in musical theatre in ways they aren't always in opera, or in other music-based theatre. I worry that the rich history of musical theatre, and the craft and structure that goes into making them, could be more easily dismissed if new work is being made without the responsibility of being called a musical. And thus, New work might feel it doesn't have to follow the principles and lessons learnt in the work that came before it, in narrative and song-based storytelling. But despite these worries, Molly undoubtedly makes a brilliant case for the term music theatre, and for the fact that music should be just as important as theatre in this medium.
1: And people say to actors, sing less, sing less. You need more acting as if there is a scale and you have to like get the balance right. They're the one thing, and your voice Whether you're speaking or singing, facilitates your acting.
0: Something Molly is extremely interested in is the idea of the psychophysical connection. And psychophysical simply means when something physical creates an internal psychological response.
1: If you're angry, you might clench your fist, but it's very hard to say to an actor, okay, you're angry, and and, okay, do whatever you need to do to feel anger. And then you're trying to figure out, okay, what does my body do when you feel, rather than going, oh, I'm going to clench my fist. Oh, God, I'm suddenly feeling you know, that physical gesture that will give you the emotion you need.
0: Psychophysical work was brought into theatre by the renowned Russian director and teacher Konstantin Stanislavsky, and he sought to connect mind and body of actors by looking into the mental states that resulted in reaction to various physical stimuli. So now a little experiment. Listeners, I'd like you to clench your fist, pull it up as tight as you can, and see how it makes you feel. Now I'd like you to take both of your hands and place them in front of you together, flat, as if you're praying. How does that make you feel? A common example of the psychophysical is when a physical stimulus creates an emotion. And what Molly says is the voice is a muscle, and when we use that muscle, it creates emotion. So rather than ignoring the singing voice or ignoring singing in music theater, we should be harnessing its power as a muscle to create emotion using its physicality. There's
1: a really interesting um, a diagram of, of the human body and the voice is like basically in the place where if you look at the body as a cross, the larynx is the muscle that you know, intersects the, the core and the torso to the head, the intellectual. And that is the source. And people say, you know, acting is physical, and you have to physicalize things. And the voice is a muscle, you know, it's just a muscle that we stretch to varying degrees, the same way a contemporary dancer will, you know, that's why it's very impressive when a dancer can does something very, very expressive and extends their arms, because as human beings, we recognize that extension, and we recognize that pushing or pulling of something and we draw motion from that and that's why when an opera singer who you know opera singers have the greatest facility of their voice they've trained their voices to to stretch that muscle that's super flexible um and they're like contortionists of of the larynx the muscle and when they hit a crazy high note in 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 mad scenes like cheers and more and all that we go, whoa, that's, it's, you know, amazing. And, and we feel that even though it doesn't necessarily mean we don't necessarily need to do it to be able to understand that that is extreme and the stretch of a muscle. Um, and I don't understand in musical theatre, I don't think that's really been given enough um, credit that the, the extremes of the voice contains so much emotion and, and why that is and how can we integrate that into the training of acting because, you know, it's the same as if you scream, it does something to your body and when you whisper, it does something to your body. So I definitely think um, the singing aspect needs to be given credit within the acting world. This
0: reminds me of something I bring up a lot in rehearsals and that's a quotation by eminent 19th century American philosopher and psychologist William James. In his early work into hormones, he said, we don't run because we're scared, we are scared because we run. And what he means by this is the physical action is what makes us feel things. When we start to run away from something scary, it is that running away that makes us then feel scared. And the reason I like musicals is because music conveys information in a totally different way to text. And it reaches you with more immediacy than anything else. And Molly is saying that the voice can do the same and that if we use the muscle and the technique of the voice, it will tell the actor what to feel and it will tell the audience what to feel too without us needing to consciously examine why and how those feelings are happening to us. It's something that Stanislavski and William James both knew and that's that sometimes we have to do something physical first and that allows us to feel something emotional second.
1: And actually our larynx, can be a psychophysical tool even though we can't see it it's there inside us and it's a muscle so a lot of the time you know people talk about a still and larynx tilts and everything a
0: still voice training is a program to develop vocal skills that is often used for teaching singing and it deconstructs muscle use and vocal mechanics in order to develop those skills as such it's a very physical method of looking at the voice.
1: They're starting to do research into the fact, you know, a lot of opera singers tilt their larynx um, and lower their larynx to create loads of space. And actually, that lowered larynx and tilting is associated with crying or sobbing. And um, we all do it when we cry. We do it naturally when we cry. It was like a lot of the still stuff is like, oh, make a puppy noise. But why don't we go, oh, well, we're doing something there that we physically do when we cry, also. So there's a little way in, you know, there's a way into. Um, uh, a psychophysical method of, of finding that emotion we need. There's lots of stuff like that that I think they you you can separate that and you can have someone go to the whole trouble of finding out technically how to sing a really difficult song and then try put the you know, the acting through song stuff on top of it when really if it's done with the technical things in the first place, it becomes so much easier. And then you're also not going, Okay, well this is the bit where I need to technically you're it's associated with the emotion. And the same with belting. Belting is the same position as when we shout. That's why we do a lot of shouting training. Sure, there's a lot of building songs that we could just gain a lot acting voice from saying, okay, we're shouting here. Why are we shouting here? You know, that, what does that feel like? What does that do? And it's, like you said, it's the physical thing before the thought, which uh, in something that's so technical, like singing, would make it so much easier as well. You know?
0: I think so often in musical theatre, the text and the acting process comes first, and then the music is led on top of that. And what's so fascinating about what Molly is saying is that developing physical singing technique and musical technique and then combining that with the story is a really, really robust way of ensuring that the two fit together and that you know as much from the physical as you need in order to help act the story.
1: It's tension and release. A lot of it is. Attention and release um, is a lot to do with psychophysical as well. You know, when we tense... That's always associated with something, um, some motivation to do, and then when we release, and actually, um, we cry a lot. I was reading a lot of research that when you cry, it's because you're trying to your your body's trying to calm itself down. So your larynx is actually lowering, and you're crying to actually try and soothe your body, and make more space for air. That's why you're like "Ah," it goes the larynx goes. That's not helpful for (laughs) listeners, by the way, like me fake crying. Oh my god! But you know, um, and that's a physical thing we do. Because, like, scientifically we need to, and, and uh, that's why, like, science and music, Adam, and science and singing and acting, it's, you know, it's anatomy, you know, it's so related, related, and actually, I think going back to that stuff, you can find out way easier ways rather than us all getting really heady about it. The
0: reason I like musicals is because music conveys information in a totally different way to text, and also the way that music reaches you with such immediacy and can make you feel things that nothing else can make you feel.
1: I go to theater to for something immediate. I don't want to have to pick apart layers, and that's why I think that's probably why I love musicals because you don't even need to understand the plot. Sometimes when someone hits that high note or someone, you know, sings something or uh, anything dramatic, a lot of the time it is in musicals. A lot of the time it is with music hits you straight away. So I totally, and that's why I think you love it from when you're a kid. You know, I mean, I look back when I was you know, very young and I was into Les I, I obviously didn't have a clue what was going on, but I just like, wow, I totally feel that from the, you know, extension of the voice and, and that's that the psychophysical is what clings us when we're very young straight away before we ever understand the words and before we ever understand um, plots or characters. It's the sound of the voice.
0: I don't think it's just about being young. Music moves us all in a totally unique way. It gets to us without the need for words or conscious thought. Music happens to us, often without us thinking at all, and it communicates so much conscious and unconscious information. And nowhere is this truer than music conveyed with a human voice. A human voice can encode and imbue music with so much unique meaning.
1: I read a book where they called it the grain of the voice because apparently, like they were saying, there's no, there's no word that you can put in the human language for that, that thing in the voice that hooks us because it's, it's just beyond words. And I
0: think that defines why I like musical theatre or music theatre or whatever we want to call it. I like it because it is beyond words. Molly goes on to suggest that she often sees music coming second in a rehearsal process, but actually believes that music should come first.
1: It's actually probably more important, in my opinion, to know your music and when you go to do Um, theater, And that's why I I never understand why there aren't more MD slash directors who, who MDs who also direct a show. I mean,
0: she goes on to tell me about a production of Condide that she was in where John O'Brien was both the musical director and the director. It
1: made total sense for that show because, you know, Bernstein is, is just a genius of musical theater. And the, it's so, the drama and the music are so, intertwined, that only a musical director could have known certain parts, certain things to do, or certain directions to give, because he knew the music so well. In a
0: good musical, the music and the drama have to be entwined, rather than just next to one another. And if that's the case, people working on the shows need to understand both. That doesn't mean they need to be experts of both, I should say. It just means they need to be aware of both.
1: And that's another thing about Sondheim, you know, people say Sondheim is a genius writer and, and um, lyricist, but he, he he was trained in music by Milton Babbitt, and, like, Milton, have you ever listened to Milton Babbitt's music? It's, like, the weirdest stuff, you know? He was, like, one of those new electronic contemporary composers, And um, but Sondheim knew his Wagnerian harmony, he could probably, like, take a part of Bach chorale for you, as well as all the things he knew about drama, but... There's, he's, there's stuff sometimes, but there's so much stuff in the Sondheim that we're, that we're probably not, you know, putting into the onstage representation of his piece because maybe it's not picked apart um, musically. As a
0: director, of course, I care about music, but I would say in rehearsals that most of the analytical time is spent on the words rather than on the music. And most of the time with music is simply spent learning it and getting the notes in people's heads rather than actually talking about what it means.
1: I had a, the guy who taught us Seamus Di He's like a god in, in Ireland. He um, taught me Counterpoint and Harmony. And he um, said to me, Molly, I do hope you're... Because we had to, like, analyse uh, Wagnerian and Harmony in our final year. And he said, I do hope you're um, picking apart your, your, the harmonies in your songs so that you can do them justice like your Schubert and everything, And I was thinking, oh God, do I have to sit down and like, you know, take a chord one to dominant seven uh, with all your arias? Because he said, how are you supposed to portray them without knowing where that that shift harmonically is? And and that's probably overkill. But you know, there's the same way you sit down at a table before you. Sometimes a lot of the time you sit down and you you pick apart the script. Why is that never done with the music and the harmonies And oh, Oh, you know, there's a massive key change there, why is that? Or, oh, there's this weird chord under this word.
0: This makes sense to me, but I say to Molly, we can't all know everything. And learning about music is a very complicated thing that takes many, many years.
1: We don't need to know it technically to break it down. It just needs to be give given more time to, to s- the same way you do table readings of the text, or the same way you you do a read-through, or you do a session on just the words and people people monologue their songs a lot and I and I think why why don't we just do the melody like an instrumental sometimes you know that's that's equally as important what's what's in that what's in that line why is it broken there you know what why is that phrase extra long why why does it go minor this part those kind of things I don't think you need to be See, so everyone knows music, you know, everyone, it's that psychophysical thing. We actually probably know music better than language because language is just music.
0: Molly goes on to suggest how rehearsals for musical theatre could be amended in order to take in music more.
1: You could have actors sit down and just do a set, they don't need to know the music, but they just do a session where the MD takes, takes them through the score. The same way a director takes, you know, through the the text. And I always wish we could do that because the first session you do on music tends to be no bashing and, and here's the tune and we're all the way oh god how do I get this in my head where's my harmonies and that but where's the part where we just sit down and like like the same way when you sit down at a reading you're not worried about how am I going to learn these lines you're just saying them and you're just, get, just listening to everyone else so you get the story you know say, I'd love if we just, the MD went, okay, here's the overture. Hmm, cool. Okay, I think that is probably prefacing XYZ. Okay, here's the opening song. You can hum along if you want to try.
0: What Molly's describing is a type of music table work that can go hand in hand with text table work. But also, I think she's again reinforcing the idea that music and theatre should be equal partners and that actually we shouldn't just necessarily start with acting And then fill the music in later. The two have to be equals.
1: Why don't we all sit down with MD and the MD plays us through the score and we say, Jesus, that really upset me, that part there. What's going on? The MD says, Oh, there's a diminished seven put in up. And you Okay, well, it doesn't mean anything to me, but I reckon I I heard it, even though I I don't know that technically what it is. And we discuss where the piece is transitioning musically and and the order of, of. the keys and you know, all that stuff is so important and so cool, and it's in a musical theatre, and it's just maybe not acknowledged a lot. And it's not, it's, I'd read if someone told me I was being snobby about this particular thing, I would have to disagree because I think it's so important and it's not something you have to understand to appreciate. Because as you said, music gets to us first, and anyone who goes to the theatre, with whatever background they're from, they're going to hear. The music before anything else, and they're going to, that's going to be what they're going to walk away. That's the impression, and that's where the cathartic experiences happen, and that's where the emotional things happen. And when you cry, it's because of changes in the music and the way they're written. So important to be talked about and and appreciated.
0: Musicals contain so much information and everyone working on it needs to try and do as much as possible to be on the same page about all of that, whether it's the way something is orchestrated or when certain instruments play or the harmonies that are used or the cadences that are used and the way that they all interrelate and the way that they all complement the words and the stories being told
1: you realize, God, there's so much stuff, and I don't think it needs to be, I'm not saying every actor needs to know how to work straight and conduct and everything, but there needs to be an awareness that that is all going on, and it's layered under everything you're doing, and which is why music theater is so much more kick-ass than plays, because, you know, there's, all that is layered and built and integrated, and the masterminds like Sondheim and and Hammerstein, they knew that, and that was all intentional. None of that's done by accident or um without a purpose, and intention, a dramatic intention. It's not just there because it sounds pretty.
0: So we know that there's a lot going on in musicals. And from this, we can also see how valuable or maybe even essential it is to know the composer's intentions in their musical choices and in the way music and words have been integrated in order to make this unique piece of theatre. And I also hope that if, when we rehearse for musicals, we submit them to that level of scrutiny, that it will inspire people to write better music theatre and to really mine what music can do and what words can do and what the two things can do collaboratively.
1: I think it's important we also talk about it because it makes people realise how much of a complex art form music theatre is and why has it become this filthy thing that people think is cheap? It's the opposite to cheap. It's so, like, even if you take something as as frivolous as hairspray or, or grease. It's all for a reason to do with the play, you know? It's it's orchestrated because of the characters. It's orchestrated to support the story.
0: Music shouldn't just contribute to the story. Music is the story. Where music meets words, something very special can emerge.
1: And that's what makes musical theatre such an amazing medium, to to tell stories and to... For that why it affects you human beings so much.
0: So what have I learned today? Firstly, that too often music comes second to theater in musical theater. Every performer needs a root into their work, and there is no reason why some people's roots shouldn't be through music and singing. Secondly, that perhaps the name of the medium, musical theater, asserts an unfair balance on theater. And the term music theatre is not only fairer, but also more inclusive, because it contains many other different styles of work that vary in accessibility, craft, and tone. Thirdly, I realise that the immediacy of music and the information music contains is essential. Music comes into the room first, it moves us, it wakes us up, it gives us access to story without the need for words or conscious thought. Actors and creatives need to respond to the importance of music by learning how to acknowledge it, talk about it and how to use its strengths in a rehearsal room. Fourth, there are benefits to the rigorous craft of classical music training, the hours of practice and study and the formal way that musicians learn how to master music, to read music and to talk about music. And I think this sort of serious treatment is something that we need and it's something that needs to be combined with the more instinctive and unplanned mechanisms that make theatre what it is. is. Fifth. The psychophysical is a fascinating way of thinking about acting. By manipulating the physical, we can unlock the emotional and the mental. The voice is a muscle, and we shouldn't be afraid to use the physical powers and hidden strengths of the human voice to teach us about acting process, storytelling, and how best to reach and engage an audience. Molly worried about having to call herself an actor who sings, and I think she shouldn't have to, because being a singer is just as important as being an actor in music theatre. Singing is the way that we can communicate music and words at the same time. And isn't that what musical theater is all about? I think rather than performers having to sing less and act more, that they should be able to sing more and act more, and in so doing, make audiences feel more. Discord is hosted and produced by me, Adam Lenson. Our co-producer is Emma Klauber. Editorial support is from Hannah Barnett-Leveson, Michael Conley, Daisy Chute, Jonathan Lenson, Sarah Middleton and Oliver Soames. Our incidental music is by L.P. Legrand. If you enjoy the show, please do subscribe and give us a review on iTunes. It really does help. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at Discord Theatre and we'd love to hear from you there. As always, our theme music is by Luke Bateman.